0: Hello and welcome, you lovely, amazing people, to episode 197 of the Filmmaker's Podcast. This, if you don't already know, is a podcast where we talk filmmaking. I nearly forgot what I was going to say then. We talk (laughs) filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try to F it up in our very very humble opinion opinion (laughs) Uh, i am charles alderson i'm a writer director and a producer and i'm joined today by i'm robbie mccain director producer and today's episode we have The amazing James Kermack. Now James was on episode 21 Mm. Which was really early days Classic filmmakers pod (laughs) Vintage for those of you who who are in the know So yeah for those of you who listened from the very beginning You know this episode If not go back and listen It is amazing But what we do today We don't delve into his history Because we already did that so if you want to listen to episode 21 about James Kermack and his history, about how he got to where he is, listen to that episode, because today we talk directly about his brand new feature film, Knuckle Dust. And we talk specifically about how he went from making his first feature, Hilo Joe, which was pretty much a micro-budget feature film, pretty much made on nothing, to making a $2 million feature for his second film
1: I love these kind of episodes because you really get to zero in on one piece of work and get into the nitty gritty details which uh, I know lots of you out there love so we talk about how he wrote Knuckle Dust before his debut Hilo and we
0: talk about why he chose to make Hilo Joe first we also talk about choosing the right producing partners and the importance of that having great crew and finding great crew and we also talk about locations finding the best locations that suit your film and why you should do that we talk about the amazing visual style that Knuckle Dust
1: has including the world building that's going on, setting up certain characters, geography and shooting some of the amazing fight sequences and trying to coordinate post-production during the lockdown
0: this year. And James Kamek also talks about how he was derailed by Christopher Nolan. You'll have to find out why. Uh, Um, It's kind of fun. Um, We also (laughs) talk about his screenwriting process and directing yourself because yes not only is James the director and writer and co-producer of Knuckledust he also stars in the movie himself it's an incredible episode James is so frank and honest and open and you are gonna love it all of that is coming up so Giles I hear
1: on the Twitter sphere that Arthur and Merlin is out in America Outstate side <gasps> is
0: that true twitter is correct uh, on this occasion arthur and merlin is available for you now uh, in america and canada congratulations for all involved for that that's cool news cool as hell news obviously if, if you're in the uk you can watch the movie now anyway do go watch it it's arthur and merlin if you like swords and sandals if you like me talking about working in the rain shot on location in wales i'm yeah. talking <laughs> of the rain what a segue robbie what <laughs>
1: that's right because you're into your final week shooting your new feature the
0: stranger in our bed and uh, how did it go today because it wasn't the best weather out there today was it according to my app this morning dark sky which i would highly recommend to any filmmaker out there because it does specific it's pretty good from where you are it's really good except today because this morning i woke up and it said it's not going to rain until 6 p.m so i thought do you know what i'll wear my nice white new trainers i'll be fine (laughs) it's not going to rain i arrived it's pissing it down straight away uh, about 10 o'clock full on came down and we're filming outside harrods by the way which if you've ever tried to film anywhere around london you kind of get moved on very quickly obviously we had permits but still people will come up and go what are you filming you shouldn't be filming here and the other thing is obviously you do have a lot of tourists even now during covid there's still a lot of tourists so they'll just sit and watch yeah which would be okay except they all have masks on so you don't really want masks in the background or walking about so you have to politely ask them would you mind moving and we had to try and get a car pull up really outside the back of Harrods where a load of taxis are moving constantly and people coming out and the wonderful people of Harrods who work there have their lovely green outfits on I don't know if you've seen them there's amazing green outfits with gold writing that says Harrods <laughs> now every time we pull the car up now this is Joseph um, who is pulling up the car Joseph Marcel who was is from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air of and Every single time the wonderful person from Harrods would come and open the door like they would for a normal shopper. And we're like, no, 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 we're filming. Please, please don't do that. I have to drive around again and pull up and try and get past taxis. It was, uh, it was quite a day, but We did get some amazing stuff and we did shoot outside Harrods. We managed to do it. It did look amazing. My actors were brilliant and just stepped in and did it. Even knowing I was like, quick, quick, go now, go now. We we did get moved on from a few places, but we still managed to do it. Amazing. But you know what I've learned from all this and within this time is that we have an amazing crew because de-rigging from every, every place we've been now, what I've seen is that because we are a man down in various places, everyone has stepped up and gone, oh it's alright, I'll carry something don't worry, I'll help you, don't worry, I'll do this and it's been amazing to see that all my crew have done that, I've not seen one department not help another department and even our exec producer Greg, I'm not going to give his full name because uh, that's not fair to him but uh, he's been fantastic, he's always been driving people about, he's always been on hand to pick something up and always there right till the end as well clearing up, as well as a guy called Andy who has been our nurse, our Covid nurse like, he's been an amazing help and it's been a it's amazing to see that every department have just stepped up, even if they don't have to, it's not their job, and drive the vans and do this and do whatever it is needed to get the get the film done. And I've loved that. I've loved watching that and I've loved being part of that team and everyone just getting stuck in and staying till late to do it. Wow,
1: it's amazing when that community spirit kind of comes out, and your filmmaking family kind of are there. They've got your back. So that
0: sounds mm. yeah, amazing. I think man. Even in the rain, even in the rain, everyone's <laughs> just been enjoying it, and I've, I have really appreciated that. And everyone's been amazing. But one thing people don't talk about a lot is de rigging. De rigging is where the glamour stops if you thought <laughs> there was any glamour in filmmaking de rigging kills it because you've just had a great day of filming you're over the moon and then suddenly you've got to rig everything it's okay if you're in one day locations it's not the end of the world or if people haven't settled like we were at the man house after two weeks we were suddenly rigging everything was like it was like moving home mm-hmm. filmmakers out there who haven't done this yet bear in mind it's part of your job and yeah. it's part of what you're doing is you've got to stay to the end. When you think you've wrapped for the day, you've made all your shots and you or whatever shots you've managed to get, you've then still gotta wrap up all the cables, however mucky they are, your hands are gonna get dirty, you've got to wrap put them all in the van. Yeah. You know, where does the rubbish go? Where do the boxes go? Where do all the you know mm-hmm. dirty clothes go? Where do, it's really difficult and it's a full production to sort it out and make it amazing.
1: You know, obviously as directors and producers we're always trying to shoot until the very last minute, so it's about understanding, you know, which bit it's, you, you can pack up last and <laughs> trying mm. to get everything else packed up before then
0: I'll fill you in with some more information next week when I've wrapped we'll have a de-reef on the de-rig we will we will oh but also coming up next week to let you lovely guys and girls know is we have the amazing Kim and Amy Datnow who talk about uh, how they made their feature Daddy Issues it is brilliant between them they not only wrote it, starred in it, produced it, uh, but they also probably wrote the theme tune. They are amazing. The film is out now. It's called Daddy Issues. Try and watch it before next week's episode. But if not, uh, do listen to that episode next week. That's coming up for you. We're also going to be having a special Christmas episode coming
1: up on the 29th. Where we're going to get the whole gang together, maybe do some quizzes. Uh, have a bit of fun
0: yes we are <laughs> and you will love it and those people who love this podcast will love it and we'll have a laugh we will have a laugh for sure we'll do even more than last week's episode with jordan waller talking about <laughs> testicles we, we might talk about um, more than testicles
1: and obviously we're on episode 197 so we've got our 200th episode coming up and we have a very special guest
0: for that giles i'm not going to announce it robbie Whoa. i'm not going to announce okay. it yet okay. we do have an amazing special guest touch wood That would be foolish to announce, but he has agreed, and I am over the moon, that he is going to be our special guest on January the 5th for our 200th episode. Can you believe it? It's our 200th episode. 2021. Uh, (laughs) 2021, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a better year for everyone. It really is. So we're going to start off with a bang with an amazing guest for our 200th episode. So do join us then. One other tip I will give you what I've learned these last uh, three weeks uh, is wear the right footwear. Um, like I say my feet were soaked today because I chose the wrong footwear and okay my app said it wasn't going to rain but still I knew I was going to be outside all day and I should have chosen better footwear because there's nothing worse than having wet feet well, I hope you got your feet a toasty up to the
1: fire.
0: If I had a fire, Robbie. <laughs> I'm
1: picturing you in a kind of Dickensian sort of, you know.
0: That, sitting you know, room. that was a delightful segue as well. <laughs> just right, ladies and gentlemen, whatever you're doing now, just relax, sit back, put your fire on because Robbie's told you all oh, you have one. <laughs> uh, so just slide them out. Or your electric now. heater, or your, your hot water bottle, whatever you've
1: got. You know.
0: Literally, whatever you've got. If you've got a match in your hand now, just flick it. Flick it into the air and watch it <laughs> land vape. in your logs. <laughs> <laughs> which will just literally combust into a beautiful flame. Gather up our portable fires. And relax. Warm your toasty now feet and listen to our fantastic episode with James Carmack. Hello mate. Hello, how you doing? Very well indeed. What's happening, you all right? Yeah, good man, how are you? How's filming? It's going all right, actually, surprisingly. <laughs> I had a few days off, so I feel quite refreshed now. I'm going back. He's off. Jesus.
1: Hey, Robbie, how are you, buddy? Uh, yeah, not too bad, Giles. How's it going? You yes. recovered yes. yet? <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> Sounds about right. I had to make
2: sure everything in the background was aesthetically pleasing because we've only just moved house. So I was like, uh, right. oh, "It's really white walls. I, I can't be having this."
0: No, you can't. Mine normally <laughs> looks much better, but uh, to remove everything that's normally set up there, it looks nice. So. Well, you
2: look like a Nicholas Winding Refn film. You
0: got a nice uh, triangle kind of. <laughs> uh, framing you so it's, it's nice it's all about framing this needs some neon lighting <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly but yeah. well, listen James it's an absolute honour to have you back on again you were on episode 21 I believe yeah well, early doors, it, man. Early doors, early on this uh, podcast process, back when we were, well, both neither of us, you just had Hilo Joe come out. I hadn't had The Dare Out yet. Uh, Arthur and Merlin was just a, an idea, and I certainly haven't started on uh, The Stranger in Our Bed. So, yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting journey for both of us. And we did meet very briefly at Directors UK once when we were on an intimacy course. Yes, we were. We were, uh, which is important, really important yes. as filmmakers to understand that. And what I learned from that is to treat it like an action scene and you've got both action and actual you know some sex scenes as well in yes so did you bring everything your journey in, to, to it as <laughs> well uh yeah with the, i mean with the uh, intimacy scene so
2: um I, I won't say who's in it but uh we had a couple in in the film and uh yeah it was just kind of like talk through absolutely everything uh, make sure everything's really you know everyone knows what's going on the actors were really comfortable um, luckily all the actors were super sweet and there was never any problems or anything and i didn't ask for anything insane uh so that's always helpful mm-hmm. um but yeah everyone was just super cool it's very and tried to keep it very relaxed um so it's not that was one of the the two times we had that um I made sure that we didn't go over time on anything else. You know, my AD was really good about that. And we made sure we had a set amount of time. The actors can relax into it, chilled. So everyone, it was a small crew uh, on those days. So everyone on set was just relaxed, chilled out. Um, and it just made everything go nice and smooth. Cause I know they can be, having done them myself as an actor, <laughs> they are awkward.
1: Yeah, they are yeah. me
0: too. I've yeah. done. Isn't there
1: that, that famous Ang Lee quote where he said, uh, filming the sex scenes in Lost Caution was harder than filming the action scenes in <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? I think that's <laughs> pretty much what, how he summed it up.
0: Yeah. I agree. I think it's true. And I think people do overlook it as a, oh, it's it's a sex scene. Oh, uh, awkward. Yeah, yeah just, just go and kiss and touch each other. And it's like, no, no, I spent longer you know, with those scenes and I know my producers are like Giles, you've got to move on. I'm like, yeah, but if I was doing a big fight scene here, you wouldn't be asking me to, you know, speed yeah. up." And I think the Me Too movement has changed everything massively within the safety of actors and actresses in that situation where normally it'd be just like I say, but like, okay. And for me, it was like that. It's right. Like, Giles, you, you know, you're, you're naked and you're dry. humping this, you know, this girl. And you kind of like, well, this is awkward. Whereas yeah. now it's changed massively. And we had an intimacy coordinator come on. On set. Right. set so but even though the actual the cast we've got, Emily and Ben, are a couple, mm. I wanted to treat them as if they weren't an actual couple in real life so that the intimacy coordinator was like, you put your hand here, are you okay with that? Okay, this is how you're going to get close. Knee's going to touch here, are you okay with that? And every step of the way was done like that. And I love it. I think it saves the whole awkward embarrassment of crew, of directors having to say this, yeah. and it makes someone else do that, like an, a stunt coordinator coming on set. I, I think it's incredible. Yeah.
2: Well, I think it's, a, it's the thing as well. It's keeping it um, it's the same as it is the same as any other scene. Like, it shouldn't be given all the build up. I think it's the build up as well that makes everyone go, Oh, God, you know, what are we going to do here? Yeah. Um, but I think if you don't have the build up, it's just you have the space and time, as you, in fairness, really hope for every scene. Uh, but as you know, <laughs> you, don't, <laughs> you don't have the space and time for every scene. No. Um, but I think it's just not building it up, not making it a massive deal. Um, you know, because you want the actors to, it's the same with stunts. You, you know, it's nerve wracking for the actor to suddenly go, okay, we're doing a one take. You've got to go through seven guys. Um, you know, don't mess it up, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, don't, really don't mess it up. Okay, because you've got one take, don't mess it up. You, you've got that. Um, <laughs> but if it's really nice and relaxed, it's kind of like they enjoy it, they get through it, and they're like, oh, do we need to go again? No, one take, let's just keep moving. Yeah. Um, and that's what we tried to do with that as well. So it's kind of the build up time was a bit more. Um, getting a bit more space but when shooting it it was one or two takes each time just move on.
0: Amazing. Let's, let's dive into Knuckle Dust then because okay. it's your second feature film it is a big big step up in terms of budget, in terms of time in terms of cast, in terms of everything Hilo Joe was amazing by the way and those people who haven't yet listened to our episode 21 do listen to that because that's where we talk to James about his career, about how we got to making uh Hilo Joe on a low budget and we talked a little bit about Knuckle Dust, but here's where we're going to go deep into Knuckle Dust and making a, a bigger budget movie. So do you want to give us the pitch and then Robbie will play the trailer and then we can dive in? So basically the pitch is
2: that it's, uh, Knuckle Dust is an action thriller. It's a, an underground fight club, an elite underground fight club, um, where they're using the underclass, the working classes, veterans and stuff to take them off the street, uh, homeless guys, and getting them to fight for the rich, uh, fight to their deaths. Uh, and the police, who've uh, been trying to find this place for a very long time, turn up one evening after a mysterious phone call and find one man left alive amongst uh, many, many dead bodies. Uh, and the rest of the film is uh, two to three timelines um, where we see the uh, interrogation of the man who's played by Mo Dumford, uh, by Chief Inspector Catherine Keaton, played by Kate Dickey, and what happened uh, that evening. And then it's all kind of pieced together.
1: How is it downstairs, Father? Busy and bloody, my child. Listen carefully.
2: You give us disposable men to fight to their deaths. I give you disposable income. Means we're making money. This is my world. I control everything in it.
1: Serena Marcos, a friend of yours.
0: Do I seem like someone who has a lot of friends to you? Us. is this where you deliver a cool yet comical one-liner no nope. amazing that was a trailer uh, the film is out now you can go watch it it is a cracking movie it's literally cracking but it's also absolutely fantastic i really enjoyed this i thought the style was incredible i thought the way it was shot was incredible performances were off the chain uh, i really enjoyed this movie james oh, thank I, thought, you, man. I thought you excelled massively not only acting in it but actually directing writing and co-producing and producing the movie i was like i'm, I'm very impressed and i think it's a really brilliant sophomore film is that the right word your second yeah. movie Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Talk us through how it came about because I know you wanted to make this before you made Hilo Joe. Yes. And you made Hilo Joe to prove that you could make a movie as we all did and we all struggled I did for 10 years and my problem not making a movie. No one would let me make one because I hadn't made one. So yeah. just go and make one for low budget, which is what you did with High Low Joe. So talk us through how you managed to raise the money. And it's substantial funds here uh, to get this film out there. What was the journey from High Low Joe? Well, yeah, so I wanted to do Knuckle Dust
2: first. It was like the first screenplay I properly wrote. And funnily enough, I, we just moved house and I found the first screenplay I ever wrote when I was 16. Wow. Um, and it has got character names and aspects of this film in it so oddly i thought i'd started writing it about eight to ten years ago but in fact it's been about two decades <laughs> <Isn't
0: it> amazing <laughs> so, how things like that just permeate in our minds and they just, just stay there and you find that like, i found an old this is this is like school high school and i found a, a really terrible script that we were trying to do in assembly the other day but it is terrible but the yeah. fact is that i was already writing there at 13 14 trying to put stuff on and actually some of characters no description is quite similar to what i yeah. still do now <laughs> still terrible but anyway you know <laughs> oh yeah I mean
2: this script was not good and it would not be getting made but, yes, yes. Um, but yeah it was interesting to see that it has been permeating for a really long time mm. um, and so what happened was I tried to get that up and running but I tried to do it as a vehicle to kickstart my acting career um, uh, and that is very difficult to do for yeah. an unknown writer to write himself a role I mean it doesn't always end up uh, with Avildsen and, and Stallone doing Rocky you know that's 99% of the time that does not happen very rare um, yeah. and i got some really good advice um a couple of years into it from a guy called rob mitchell who's sadly passed recently a really good guy in the industry and he took me for a few beers and he said he loves the scripts like it's very tarantino and rodriguez and it's like it has its own it has its own kind of um it's its own beast its own style and we absolutely love it but you cannot play the lead um, and we argued about this for a little while because obviously I was kind of like had pinned everything on doing this um, but he gave me the advice to write yourself a really good supporting role um, take more control producing it and get a big lead actor or a great, great lead actor and, um, and then finance it that way So you can't finance it on you uh, I was upset for a while <laughs> but um, it was the best advice that I'd, I'd been given at that point uh, to get the film made um, and so then we went to um i spoke to a few directors and we actually discussed it with uh tony k yeah uh, a little bit of american history x who mm-hmm. was really mm-hmm. interested in directing the film with me as the lead uh which was super interesting i actually had to a bit like we're doing now because he was in la um i had put together like a um uh, a self-tape where i'd you know got lots of sfx makeup on looked Written myself a monologue uh, and done it in a dark room, moody lighting, and sent it to him. And we we're on the call, and he hadn't watched it yet. So he said, Let's watch it now. Oh, wow. So I was watching Tony K. Watch. Watching myself tape. <laughs> and I was like, That. Okay, so this, could, my entire career hangs on this, and I have to watch it, which is horrific. Yeah. But he, he was like, Great, I love it. Let's do this. Fantastic, let's work together. But then that just didn't work out which is a really shame because I really love uh, Tony's work. I think he's a fantastic director. Mm. Um, and so then I decided to take the reins um, to direct um, and push it more that way. But no one would let me touch this as a first film. Like there was no, it's too massive. Um, mm. And so I thought, you know, I'll make something more personal, um, much smaller, more contained, uh, and on the lowest possible budget I could do this on. Um, and so I went off and raised the funds for Low, which in the end came, came out quite low um uh on budget and so did that but then the problem became <laughs> that Hilo is nothing like knuckle dust nothing so people were like oh you make that type of film though and I was like oh right okay but I made this so I could show you I can do that <laughs> uh, and I can kind of like well that's very difficult to see and you're like yeah that does make sense actually I should have done but to do an action movie on Hilo's budget would just have been terrible
0: well you couldn't have done it but it's it's one of the it's that really annoying thing where you go well look i've proved myself i've met i've been in the trenches i've made a feature Mm. and it's really good how much did you make it for ish in the end high low yeah uh i think it's like 40k cash Forty k. I mean look what you achieved for 40k i mean Mm. it's massively impressive But then like you say you then go great now let me make my next one it's knuckle dust it's an action it's very tarantino-esque and they go well no, you, now you don't know, need to go make another one that's similar to Knuckles. And you're like, hang on. It's this really horrible situation we're in as directors or filmmakers trying to move into the business. It's really hard. So what did you do? What, how did you prove that you could do this? So
2: basically what happened was um, I, I now work for a company called Futuristic Films um, with my business partner, Julian, um, who's fantastic. And he saw an early cut of Hilo when we were editing it. Um, at a place called Zebra, um, post-production. And yeah. um, he was working there at the time. And it's mainly PR, uh, PR advertising and, and stuff like that there. And he just set up his film production company, Futuristic. Um, and he was looking for films. He said he really loved Hilo. Um, and we needed uh, music. So they brought music to the film and came on as producers um, and really helped in that way. And then he said, have you got, have you got anything else? Um, and I said, well, I have this script, Knuckle Dust. Um, and him and his business partner read it and they came back in 24 hours and they're like, would like to take Knuckle Dust. I think it's fantastic. Um, and I said, you can, you can take it, but only if I'm attached as director, um, wow. which I know makes it difficult um, because I'm, uh, you know, still not anyone here of note and it's a big ambitious film with a really large cast. Um, And so, uh, but I pushed on that and they were cool with it. And so then they just kind of went, okay, let's do this. Let's really push for you as the director. Let's get this film made. And Julian has been amazing. I mean, he's, you know, really been in the trenches together, getting this done. Um, And it's been a long journey of like four or five years together and uh, lots of ups, lots of downs and, you know, moments where we were offered really big us budgets and then, and then that goes away and then suddenly you're back to square one again. It's kind of like, okay, let's restart this. Let's, let's go again. Um, as you know yourself, when you, you know, you get those calls and it's like, yeah, we're, we're doing this or we're doing that. And then it's just, oh, okay, cool. I'm, I'm still here with the project. Let's go again. And so we just went with that really, and just kind of pushed it. I mean, it's been a difficult film to make. I and mean, obviously you guys have watched it. So it's a, it's, it's a big, action mm-hmm. it's, it's got twists and turns it's, it's very back and forth different timelines um you know it's not an easy uh watch at all um and that was uh was one of the aims you know it was to do something where we kind of figured if it's fun enough in aspects as well then the really hard the difficult stuff will be Uh, interesting because you have the two sides of it so it's not just there are some really nice dumb fun moments in the film Mm -hmm. Um, but we really wanted to bring the kind of intelligent thriller layer to it as well Um, and I think I hope I think that's what we've managed to kind of
0: do it really is I think the fun action side of it really comes across brilliantly well it's that really lovely from the off You've got that lovely sort of warm feeling. I know what movie I'm watching here. And you started with some absolute classic, brilliant opening titles, moving into an amazing opening shot, which makes you go, cool. I I I feel settled. I feel safe. This director knows what he's doing. It looks great. Let me just enjoy the ride. Robbie, how did you feel? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say this is sort
1: of quite exciting indie filmmaking because it's like, really pushing, getting as much as you can out of that budget and really kind of making the the best use of some of those setups that you can. And, yeah, I mean, I was just really impressed with the the style that you managed to achieve, like, at that budget level. Um, Yeah, as Giles said, you've got, like, that first gliding tracking shot up to the car, which immediately just uh, puts you in sort of that sort of mood. And just some of the tonal kind of shifts and uh, just moments of pause, like the... The moment, just in the arena between you know the two leads, there's just that kind of moment of calm where the music drops away, and uh, that really gives you a sense of a bigger scale that um, you know is quite difficult to achieve on that budget level.
0: Yeah, it had the elements of Edgar Wright. Uh, you mentioned Tarantino and Rodriguez, but the Edgar Wright for me, I think, was more of the push because of that English humour yep. I think came across massively, whereas uh, Tarantino is a different style of humour. It's a humour that's. I don't know not English basically and here <laughs> you you brought that to it and I I really enjoyed it uh, like I say I I think you've you've literally gone hey here, here I am I'm James Kermack and I've made an absolute brilliant winning sophomore movie a proper movie with a budget Give me more budget next time. Let's see what I can do, you know, or even the same, you know, you'll be able to do it again. And I think that's really, really testament to you. So, so um, before we get on to how you actually achieved what you did, keep going with your story because it's really interesting of where you, you know, you, you're you battling for that sort of four or five year period of trying to get this made. How actually you know with Laurent and, and Julian, how the, your producers, how did you get the money? How did you actually piece this together? So it was a, a lot of
2: finance uh, came in from different sources and we just basically went out to absolutely everyone and then we we're really lucky. We had uh, certain companies come on board um, who also brought their uh, skills. So like you know on-site uh, were a great partner on the film, a brilliant post-production house um they worked on some really massive films you know like ridley scott and stuff like that and, and mm. then suddenly you know you've you've got their expertise at, at hand which was amazing because obviously we did post during the beginnings of covid mm. um so it was all for the first time I'd completely every way that i thought we were going to do post was out the window so i did uh, i'd say 80 percent of post on zoom as we are now yes um so that was hardcore and on-site were amazing um and then we had another company called trigger um where Walter Mayer is the composer uh, of the film um and he's a part of trigger uh, and they brought finance and uh, he's his soundtrack is exceptional like he's um we managed to work really really closely again even though everything was done on zoom he was getting voices from other countries and instruments from other countries sent over and recorded and he would then put it all together um, and so it's little things like lots of you know you'll see on the opening credits there's quite a few producers on the on there the was card. a lot yeah yes I didn't uh,
0: notice I was like oh okay all right yeah. let's keep going <laughs> oh
2: another yeah. another card with another months. card
0: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.
2: yeah uh, there's a lot uh, quite a few you know we had the, obviously the primary producers in um, uh, Futuristic and the project mm. um, but we had quite a few people come on board with finance in that manner um, and kind of pieced it all together um, and Julian did a an exceptional job um with that um because obviously all the finance hasn't come from you know one studio one area
0: so your producer managed to piece that all together and then with the tax funds sort of go well we've yes. got enough to go make it yes which is great because well, yeah i
2: mean G- julian is a genius like um, you know we're in a we were in Cannes a couple of years ago, and uh, I was at a party, and, and someone said, "Oh, you're working with Julien? And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. And they're kind of like, "Yeah, we call him the Stephen Hawking of film finance." <laughs> wow! <laughs> and he's a good guy as well, which which uh, makes the the real difference as well. You know, because we work very closely together, um, and it's just me and him in the office um, in in the UK, and so. We, we work through absolutely everything. And that's the other thing, because he's not you know, just come on board as like a, a finance producer. He's come on board as a partner. Um, um, and you know, I've learned so much about finance and, and film finance from him. Um, and we talk everything creative. So the, the whole thing you know, from the last four or five years of us getting it together has been very much um, a push uh, from me and him and Featuristic. Um, to get it done. So it's by no means uh, just myself.
0: I think that's really important what you've said there, uh, how finding the right producers for you is vital. And not only that, but then getting on with them because you've been in the trenches five years with the dare in total. I think it's been six. If you're not friendly with those people, and you're not getting on with them as a business side, as well as a personal side, you're going to be up against it and you really have to. And I've been very lucky with my films with Lucinda and then before with Julian and Yarevan on this one with Dean and Terry. It's just been wonderful. And I think it's kind of testament to you and maybe me in some way that we do have to get on with our producers and find the right people and find that balance of not always getting your own way, right? You know, and sometimes going, yeah yeah okay let me listen to you here you know more than me on this. Um, yeah.
2: I mean it's it's tough it's isn't it you know to it's like anything you know you find a uh, you, you find your you know your wife or your partner or your husband or, or whatever you know that's difficult. <laughs> it takes years of work and dating and then uh the stuff not working out and then <laughs> and then you frogs. find the right person. Yes exactly it's and then, and then you find the right person uh and you're kind of like oh right okay Ah, uh, this is really easy, actually. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> and, um, uh, that's kind of, that's what it was like with, with Julian, you know, we kind of, we don't argue. We've never had an argument. There's always just a discussion of how we move forward with if there's a problem. Um, and, and so that's been fantastic. So it's, it's, it's nice to especially as you know as a director sometimes you know it's very um lonely and difficult because you you know every, every I try and make sure everyone feels like a family on set and it's real teamwork and it's collaborative and everyone kind of um brings their own thing to it and I really appreciate the things that they bring but ultimately the the final decisions are mine or yours and um that is a lonely process <laughs> sometimes because it's kind of like All right, this. I really hope. I think this is the right decision. Yes, it is. We're going to say yes to the blue shirt. (laughs) Blue shirt is correct. Take it. Uh, And then two
0: seconds later, you're like, green. It's green. It's green. green. I'm sorry, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> people do forget that. They think it's, it's not lonely there, or you'll have all these people with voices around you. But, like you say, ultimately, it's your decision. Mm. And the film rests on you. If you choose to not do a close up, or you choose not to do a, I don't know, a sweeping wide. In the film, obviously, it's a big film, and we shot it in five weeks five weeks so um
2: you know it's not a, a huge amount of time for this touch of style of film and, you know we were sending stuff through to the uh editors we have two fantastic editors uh natasha wilkinson and, and chris gill um chris did american animals mm. um which, wow. which I really loved It was actually one of my uh, lists of like editing for the film for style wise um, oh, yeah. wow. and then on site put forward chris gill so i was like Okay, yeah, yeah, sure, uh, 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 that'll do me, you know, that's fine.
1: There's some uh, amazing editing throughout, particularly with the elevators, the lifts, transitions of the opening doors, and obviously the cutting to the different floor numbers, which becomes relevant in the plot. But yeah, Yeah. I just noticed that there's some really nice flourishes throughout. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Natasha and Chris did a fantastic job on this.
2: And and we were sending stuff through to Natasha every day on the dailies, and she was kind of like, uh, so how many days worth is this? And they were like, this is one day. And then every day this would come through and she'd go, how many days is this? No, this is one day. Uh, yeah. This is one day's worth of stuff. So she sure. you was know, like, but they've changed to three different locations and it's multiple dialogue and an action scene. Yes. 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 This is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <This> just, please edit <laughs> Please edit it. Make please it look- edit it. Make it look yeah. beautiful. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's come back to locations because I do want to talk about that. But let's talk about uh, from there. You Are you allowed to say how much? you made it for yeah we, we, uh, we made it for two million dollars amazing what an amazing achievement by the way massive round of applause to you for going thank from you. 40k to 2 million us dollars on your second feature huge props well done it's amazing it's testament to the script it's testament to you for keeping that fight going and believing in it and your producers honestly that's incredible it's it's incredible achievement thank really you good. well I'm done so you managed to raise your money. You've managed to get that. Did any of that uh, lay on any of the cast? Did you need to get certain cast members for certain money to get in place?
2: Not really. I mean, they helped obviously because we had certain cast attached very early. Um, like basically, what I've done
0: is pick up cast. Over the years, yeah. <laughs> over the years, uh, over the years, acting, and acting, kind of like, yeah, making. Well, Chernobyl for one, I imagine that's where mm. you picked up Alex first because yes.
2: you were in Chernobyl, yeah. Yes. Uh, I was in Chernobyl, uh, a very small role which got cut. Basically, uh, I did see you in it. You were in it, though, right? It was I'm you one in the minors. Me. Yeah, yeah oh. I'm one of the miners, just over Alex's shoulder a lot. Um, <laughs> it's but basically, you and
1: James Cosmo just either side of Alex. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: And so James Cosmo um, had a speech at the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. um, and my first line came off the back of his speech. Then they cut his speech, in which case my line made no sense. And so then it was, uh, you know, see you later. But it didn't really matter because I got to meet Alex there. And I'd actually seen Alex in a show, a Sam Shepard play, True West, um, a couple of years before with a, a mutual friend of ours, Eugene O'Hare. They were both in it together. And it's, it was a fantastic performance. And Alex was just off the chain. Unbelievable actor. Yeah, he's a brilliant actor. Um, yeah. And he's amazing in Chernobyl. And so um, mm. he's now with, you know, best mates. He's like, you know, godfather to my daughter. And like, he's super cool. Oh, nice. He is a... Uh, yeah and i just said to him you know would you come and do this and uh, we were quite lucky because he said yes and then we got him just before everything kind of went mad uh for him you know with the batman and the star wars and all, all this kind of stuff and you, we had to really like fit him in so he came in he d- traveled down from scotland on the morning after he won the bafta in scotland the night before to come and do his first day's filming wow um and uh, yeah, it was just unbelievable, like uh, amazingly pleased for him. It's just so cool. Everything that's kind of happening for him. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's such a, um, a working actor and he has been for a really long time that to mm-hmm. see it does pay off. If, you, if you're a good person, you're a good actor and you spend this long in the business at some mm-hmm. point it pays off. And so we were super lucky to get him.
0: You are. And I think that that goes across the board for filmmakers as well. If you're hardworking, you're a nice person, nice enough. You know, you still got to be ruthless in terms of getting things done. You do have to move forward and don't expect anyone else to do it for you. But if you're good and you work hard, things will pay off for you. They will like it has done with you. I hope so. And um,
2: so, yeah, we, we, that's how Alex and then a few of the other actors. Um, we premiered Hilo in Dinard. Um, uh, the film festival, and Kate Dickie was there, and Phil Davis was there, and obviously I'm huge fans of Kate and Phil because I was a judge for the first ever Shortcuts uh, Film Festival, and Phil had directed a short that was there, and Kate was in a short called Operator, which I think also won a BAFTA.
0: Operator is a great short. It's a yeah. great
2: short, fantastic yeah, really. in it. And so when that was all over, obviously uh, after the judging was done, so there was no conflict, <laughs> I uh, kind of approached them both and had a drink with them, and they were absolutely adorable. Just said, can I send you a script? you know if you don't because they really liked high so I said, mm-hmm. can i send you a script if you you know you don't like it that's cool um they said yeah sure and then i told them and i said like, i said to phil like look can i just say this now i'll never say it again i'm a huge fan of your performance in face it's one of my favorite films i talked about face for like 30 minutes because <laughs> um, yeah, he won't say it again <laughs> he won't say, and then i said you know and then we'll get professional i'll be real well professional on set but like you know uh I, I really love face thanks so much thanks so much i would have talked about alien three his oh, tiny yeah. role in that <laughs> it's, it's really difficult to put the film isn't it with him because you're just like he's such a um yeah. an absolute legend brings a real kind of credibility to the film as as do yeah. all the actors actually because they're all really respected actors we've done really well you know kate dickie uh, uh, mo dunford i think is one or two bathers and, uh, yeah. and alex's got a BAFTA now and it, you're just kind of like oh cool
0: yeah. Uh, this welcome. Is, uh... this you, so you're on set and you go, um, I'd like to welcome BAFTA winner uh, yeah. over here. I'd like to win ba- BAFTA winner over here. <laughs> if you could all just come in the middle and I'll uh, give you my magic of what to do. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. cool, isn't it? And then you've got Gethin Anthony in there, who was obviously in High Low Joe as well, yes. uh, as a, a sort of a friend as well who's you've brought in. He's fantastic in this movie. And it took me a while to realise that was him. And it was such a weird one because the wig is so like out there. And I was like, okay. I was like, oh, that's Gethin, Of course. Right. It just (laughs) took me a beat. Um, That's fantastic. Uh, Yeah. yeah, He's he's
2: brilliant uh, in it. Um, Yeah. And obviously, because he's again, he's a very respected kind of serious actor. So, you know, to get him in a, in a, a Chuckle Brothers mustache and a mullet um, <laughs> dressed like, you know, he's just a, an extra in Miami Vice was fantastic. With a West Country accent. With a West Country accent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he went full force for it and it was just fantastic. And the great thing is, because he's such a good actor um, and a credible actor, it's a real performance. It's not like a comedy performance. It's a real character who just
0: happens to have a mullet and a moustache mm-hmm. uh, and a West Country accent. Yeah, it's irrelevant, isn't it? Yeah, it's about the performance, which is great. Uh, Amy Bailey in there, who I'd worked with years ago as well. She was fantastic. Jamie Winston. Uh, you know, the, the Camilla Rowe. She was a fine, wasn't she? Oh, Camille's amazing, yeah. Camille came through um, contact with the, the project,
2: Fumaron, um, our other co-producer. Um, they did great there because um, obviously it's a difficult part, you know, to play cool um and to play badass and sexy and kind of everything rolled into one it's that kind of uh, that kind of noir 40s kind of enigma mm. role but in color and she was fantastic and uh you know she's a big model she's very she's huge she was one of the people i was kind of like uh nervous potentially about working with because i didn't know her mm. uh, at all and i knew most of the other actors coming on board um and so we just had a Skype together and she is just the most delightful person you've ever discussed anything with, puts you at ease straight away. And the great thing is when she comes on set, she is just positive. Um, there's a, a great uh, energy about her, which she permeates and gives to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's very relaxed and you're just kind of like, it's a joy to have her on set. Um, I think she has a great performance in the film. Um, yeah, I'm super pleased with her actually because it was one of the, the only actors that, along with Jamie, actually, that I'd never met or worked with previously.
0: Mm. But we know of Jamie's work. Like you say, Jamie Winston does have that reputation. She's fantastic. You know what she's going to deliver. Even on a bad day, she's brilliant. So therefore, with Camille, you suddenly went, well, actually, I'm not sure. And that can be quite, especially for a role as, as big as it is, it can be quite frightening. You suddenly go as a director, uh-oh, uh, how am I going to do it? Especially when you haven't got much time on set, no rehearsal time as such. Suddenly you go, oh, I've got to get a performance out of someone. But it seems like, you know, from what I could see that she was already on it.
2: Well, it it was the joy of working with complete professional actors, um, you know, and I don't mean non-professional actors, I just mean like they're professionals, like Mm. every single actor came on set. um, You know, there was never a call for line. There was never like, you know, we've discussed stuff, you know, what do you think here and stuff, but it was never like they're out of character in a scene or, that all of them were on point every single time. And it really helped, obviously, because, you know, shooting a massive film like this on a smaller time frame was tough. You know, there was no time for the actors to kind of be like, oh, I think, you know, this and Mm -hmm. we should, you know, and we'd actually had uh, many of these discussions before because I tried to have a discussion with each actor before we even shot the film, um, whether it was via Skype or in person to go through the character why I'd written it, um, how I felt it was meant to be, any kind of backstory. Um, So everyone was kind of prepped before we actually got on set.
0: There's another uh, actor in this I'd like to talk about. It's called James... Kermack, and
1: <laughs> of course,
0: uh, I wanted to know uh, uh, how you managed to direct yourself because you're in this a lot actually, uh, more than I thought you would be as a sort of cameo role. In terms of, it's yes. very hard. How did you go about that? Because I'm it, it's fascinating for me because people always say to me, Giles, why don't you put yourself in your movies? You know, but you're acting, of course, you could do that. I, I've always sort of shied away, but I'm fascinated to know how you did it. Cause you are great in the movie as well. I uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, for, I've done a lot
2: of music promos directing and then putting myself in them usually for budgetary reasons. <laughs> um, so you're kind of like, uh, you know, we'd have to get a pay, pay another actor to come in for the day and everyone's working for free anyway. And it's, it's a free shoot. Um, okay. I want to get a good actor. Do you know what? I would just do it. Just save a bit of time. Let's just move forward. Always knowing that I'd quite like to you know, direct myself in something one day um and so what happened was we'd actually cast someone in that role i wasn't going to be in it at all wow okay uh and then there was a little problem with scheduling so we moved the actor and then i I was like you know what we're right down to the end here this was the role that i'd taken the advice from rob mitchell to write for myself anyway just in case so i was just like do you know what i'll just do it i already know the role it's it's a huge cast as it is and because he's on set a lot i was like well we know i'm on set
0: and if you need to pick it up at any point you go well i'll do that on exactly, dad, exactly.
2: Yeah. And, um, and so the good thing was, you know, to direct yourself, uh, I was in my head kind of thought, well, if I'm directing an actor, I'm going to have to have discussions with them in between scenes and am are doing this, blah, 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 and little mm. comments here and there. If I equate that to looking at the monitor to see what the scene looked like, it's the same amount of time. So yeah. in fact, it was just kind of like, yeah, I, as a time scale thing, it'll be the same. I never have to give myself any kind of chat. Um, so it's
0: just kind of like, there's you in a corner talking to yourself. James, yeah, you've got to do it better. James, no, you, I don't, James. I'm you doing it fine. To, you've no, got to not, do better
2: James. in this scene,
0: dude. Um, <laughs> Jesus,
2: I'm calling my agent. Yeah. Uh, sounds so, like a film in itself. It is. <laughs> yeah. That'll be my next film. That's fine. Much lower budget, <laughs> and it actually really helped on this film because of the schedule. So I wanted to shoot um, all of the interview stuff in sequence. Um, first, that's the first stuff we shot um, because I really wanted that. That's the backbone of the film, and so I wanted the um, Kate's character and Mo's character um, and Kate and Mo to feel really comfortable in where they were going on the journey. Um, so we shot that in sequence. But obviously, uh, as you see in the film and people watch it, um, the first interrogation bit is my character and Jamie's character and um, Dave Bibby's character, who's also fantastic in it, playing Hooper mm-hmm. uh, as the coppers. And so the first shot. The first scene that we did was me and my close-ups you um, <laughs> get the scene. So I'm I was I was like, like what, come on, he's
0: just doing this for him. Come That's on, amazing. this guy, yeah, this and, um,
2: guy. It was good because I was like, I said to um, my fiance uh, the night before, I was like, because we we're running lines, uh, and I was kind of like, right, I can't, I can't say line. I can, I never say line because I have to set the tone. For how this runs for the rest mm. of the shoot so um i have to be completely 100 on point there must never be a line Like i already obviously knew the shots that we'd wanted um so it's just kind of like i just want to bam bam bang, bang cut move on cut move on because obviously it's me and shot saying cut so if yeah. you're like you know kind of intensely uh, looking at mo's character <laughs> being like yeah do you know what i mean that's this is what's going to happen cut <laughs> okay, fantastic. Can we just have a look at that, please? I just want to see if that works in frame. So it's an interesting process in that sense as well. I always think it's good for directors to act, not just in their own films, but like generally, yeah. um, because I think you understand a great deal about what actors are going through. And mm. it's, it's not, an um, you know, especially with the time pressure and you're like, can we go fast? You know, not can we go faster, but like crew needs to move faster. Uh, AD is like, we need to get this shot. And you need to make sure that the actor is settled and calm and just doing Mm. their thing. Um, So yeah, it was interesting. And I, you know, it is actually a really big part in the film.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, it is. Yeah. yeah. That's um, quite a good example of um, just, yeah, leading by example, I guess, is that you're, as you said, you set the tone for the rest of your team going mm-hmm. forward. Um, so that in a way that probably made them respect you more, that you were sort of putting yourself in this position of vulnerability, being the kind of icebreaker <laughs> yeah. going first. Well, I mean, so. if I'd have screwed it up, I think it would have been uh, <laughs> awkward.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Were, you, were you really nervous? then going into that that
2: first day not at all i mean i was so ready for it i've been so ready for it for so long Mm. Um, and and because it was doing so much on day one and i was so concentrated on the directing and the framing and everything i wanted to happen that there was no actual nerves as an actor at all on this uh, which is really rare obviously every time you know i haven't acted on theater in anything for a long time but you always get those nerves and the butterflies there's just so much going on that i was like i need to get the shot and that's the most important thing Does the shot work there's the what's going on in the shot work great and it kind of consistently separated myself from it um it's only like later on when we're in further into the edit Now i was kind of like this mccready guy needs to be over there and it's just like that's you that's <laughs> you this is you just say you. i need to be over there yeah but you can't. Like, you can't you
0: can't because no. it's a
2: separate thing yeah yeah um, but yeah it was interesting
0: and how much did you talk with your DP, uh, Pat Oldinger? How much did you talk with him beforehand? How much prep had you done? We'd done a lot. So he, 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 him and uh, his team came from Germany,
2: uh, Mike, Marco uh, and uh, Conrad, um, and they were fantastic. Um, so they came and stayed for pre. So they were here for three weeks of pre with me wow. from nice. Germany. Uh, so we were together every day. You know, we do all the recce together and we prepped everything. Um, and there was some stuff that, you know, we didn't end up doing in the film. So you get on set and you're kind of like, you know what, this doesn't work in, the, in situ. So let's try something else. Um, for instance, I, I know Pat, one of Pat's favorite scenes in the film is where Chris Patrick Simpson who plays Not Now Nigel and Gethin playing Jeremiah are having this argument. And we kind of like whip pan back and forward. And we did mm-hmm. that in, uh, I think, one take. Wow. Uh, maybe two takes because time was against us and we were kind of like, right, it's going to take this amount of time to do all the setups and it looks really nice and we we're like, do you know what? Let's whip pan it. Whip pan the whole thing. Pat was like, yeah, okay, let's whip pan it and so basically what would happen was my <laughs> fantastic uh, first AD Chris Malin who uh, basically I do everything with and um, couldn't do without if I'm honest, mm. um, he was reading the script, Pat had the camera and because we wanted the camera to move literally at the end phrase of a line to get there in time for the beginning of the next line Yeah, he would just tap him tap him tap him, and that's how that scene uh came about and, and we got it and it's it's yeah it's one of my favorite scenes because i think it's really well acted
0: isn't it interesting how scenes you can plan and prep as much as you like but actually when you're in situ there's something else that comes up the whether it's time or necessity or actually you see something better often they're the best things in your movie the ones you like the most yeah and they're the most exciting they're exciting as well mm. i mean like you know for the
2: actors who are kind of like oh right okay we're not doing setups with you know we'll go- let's do it let's yeah. go in
0: one i um, like doing one as i like doing I moving do. masters as much as i can i think if i get a great moving master i sometimes then don't need to pop in for close-ups because it yeah. ruins the moving master for one but also you go well it's not important what's important? you got it. You've got the story. Yeah. And you need to move on to the next scene. Yeah. But you've got a lot to shoot. You know, we're shooting this one in four weeks. Right. And it's really tough. You know, five yeah. weeks. Um, I can totally understand why you've got the action. It's a, it's, it's a long film as well. And you've got a lot going on. And let's let's jump. To, uh, Robbie, you had a. You had a brilliant question. Yeah, so I just want to talk a bit about the visual
1: style. And I was wondering if that was sort of there in the script from the get go, because obviously there's a lot of world building in this in this film there's a lot of you kind of establishing a lot of the characters earlier on we've got that kind of similar to Guy Ritchie's snatch you've got the name plates coming up at the start and then mm-hmm. you're also establishing the geography of the of the main location the knuckle dust yep. club with all of the different uh lift floors and you know the different kind of departments levels of this organization and it's all lit with the neon colors uh, so the sort of flavors of we talked about Nicholas Winding Reffin earlier. There's kind yeah. of flavours of that sort of style. And then uh, there's kind of flavours of John Wick in there as well. So the kind of clandestine uh, organisation. How much of that was sort of in the script from the get go and how much of it sort of came through in the production? In the script. So for a long time, I put a pitch book together a long time ago
2: and the film looks like the pitch book, which is we're really happy about. Mm. Um And so the neons have been there for quite some time. And the style, I really wanted to go for like a hyper stylized kind of um, look. Uh, I think it's something that is very American uh, and not done too much uh, in Britain. Yeah. Mm. Um, And that's, we really wanted to go for a very, it's got a very British tone. Uh, especially with the comedy. Um, yeah. But we wanted to go for that kind of America gritty, dirty Americanized kind of style, but mm-hmm. where you have this kind of level of class because obviously it's very rich people in this club. Um, so there is a level of class to the film as well. But yeah, all that, all that was there, you know, the, the, the fights and stuff were there. Everything was kind of in the script, uh, which, cause I really wanted it to be able to inform people as much as possible, uh, whichever department it was. So a- a- every HOD we ended up hiring, Really got the film from the packages I sent and the script, um, which was really helpful. So that we're all on the same page straight away.
0: Well, you've got Anna Papa who's doing uh, my film now, The Stranger in Our Bed. Yes, Uh, your recommendation as well, which is really lovely because she is fantastic. I recommend her for everyone. Her and her team are
2: amazing. What they did was insane. You know, these were just bare rooms. They're just Mm. bare rooms, and um, you know, uh, there was the police station in the police office uh, where, where the coppers sit. I mean, when I came into that and I told her what I wanted, I wanted to go for like a 70s, 80s
1: American kind of like, you know, um, you know, Hill Street Blues kind of thing. It looks yeah. like the uh, the office in Blade Runner that Harrison Ford goes to with his yes. boss, which is all yeah. kind of run down and there's run the moody down, lighting. Everything's yeah. kind of 10 years behind
2: Mm. now so like there's vhs in there and, and yeah. old tvs and stuff and and i absolutely loved that um and so we really wanted to go for that kind of like which era is this so it's kind of our own world which is definitely what we wanted to go for um and so anna was yeah fantastic what it. i was very lucky with the hods i got on this um because anna and her team really stepped up with absolutely everything everything has its own uh every room has its own world character yeah and mm. character um, which really wanted and it was the same with um costume with cynthia um what she did was unbelievable
1: yeah and even in the sort of the smaller side characters like someone like tiktok who's just yes. like one of the many plethora of characters that you've got on display he's got like an incredible costume in his own sort of he's sort of instantly recognizable with all mm. of the accessories he has and the, yeah uh, the watch and
2: well yeah. that was one of the characters that people uh was trying to get the film made for a long time were kind of like um, it's a cowboy um it's a cowboy and i was like yeah it's a cowboy it's cowboy yeah the cowboy it's it's super cool yeah but it's a cowboy and there are no other cowboys and it's not the wild west and i was like yeah it's a cowboy it's cool it's super cool and um are you just explained it it's, yeah it's a cowboy it's a what cowboy it? i don't understand what That's, the problem is here guys yeah. this is very simple it's a cowboy <laughs> we all know what a cowboy is and so what we did with cynthia is um but I think because you know,
1: Sebastian Foucault as well, because he kind of obviously kind of is he, he, kinda, kinda, is he uh, French uh, North African? Or yeah, yeah. He brings his own sort of mm. new spin on it. So it's not yeah, just a cowboy, really. so
2: Yeah, exactly. I think if we'd have cut, cast, you know, um, like a really um, American guy, mm. you'd be like,
1: uh, OK, but he has his own style. Again, and that cross-pollination of cultures sort of going on, which really adds to the uniqueness of the world.
0: And I imagine that you had so many storyboards and what well, uh, visual references that you gave to your costume and uh, art department. Yes. So we put together entire mood boards, pitch books,
2: um, yeah. all kinds of stuff so that everyone felt like they knew exactly what was happening, what was going on, and everyone was on the same page. And then everyone brought in their own pitch books, which were like, uh, added on to mine, which was like, ah, fantastic. This is mm. great. It's really
0: um, nice when people do that, isn't it? You suddenly go, oh, oh yeah, that's cool. And then you can yeah. choose and get that one and that one and it's really lovely, isn't it? Well, suddenly you're kind of like, um, oh, oh yeah, no,
2: that's, uh, I like that. That's fantastic. So, I mean, with, with TikTok, as soon as we cast uh, Sebastian as well, we went for like um, a sapper look, which I mm. think is like a French Congolese really cool style and mm. they have these wide brimmed hats and they look like fashionable modern cowboys mm. so we merged the cowboy look with that on sebastian and it had this it looks realistic like yeah you don't you don't go oh there's a guy in a, looking like a cowboy you go that's oh, tiktok that's cool yeah and you and it, the it original was. as well for like yeah. a
1: henchman <laughs> character
2: and that was one of the things we really wanted to do was make sure there were no everyone in black suits mm. you know henchmen faceless kind of henchmen really wanted everyone to have their own individual character and ideally you know You'd want to see, you'd want to follow the journey of any one of these characters mm-hmm. is kind yeah. of
0: the aim. And I think you definitely pulled that off. I think it's really interesting. I want to know more about these people, this world. It's very like Kingsman. You kind of like, I want to know more. Where do they come from? What's happening? And I think that that's testament. And let's talk about the locations. And as we touched on before, where did you film this? And were a lot of your locations in the same place we filmed in various places we filmed in a place in harrow
2: we found like five well it's one kind of area um with all these different warehouses and stuff yeah. and so we kind of every room we went into i was like okay we could shoot this here okay we can shoot the police station stuff in this building and it became like a mini studio nice um, it was really cool and then we shot all of the uh, fight club stuff mm. in not all of it but a lot of it in at the very bottom in the other building around the corner uh, oh. we shot a lot of exterior stuff for the police station and the club in the same space
0: perfect how did you find it for one and also what was it before because i'm like this space was incredible as soon as you walked in and you had that lovely sort of yeah st- steady cam shot and you're going around i'm like this is great this really shows off the space It did i mean wow what a find right yeah i mean we're very lucky um, i mean i had a
2: fantastic uh, locations manager and scout called Noor, um, who was wonderful um, and just went and found cause, i mean again it's a huge film for locations there's lots mm. of different locations yeah um, so again it was kind of like okay, that's another huge thing that James wants. We shot a lot of stuff in Knightsbridge somewhere, tower, a tower block, uh, which is amazing uh, for a lot of that stuff. Um, And the the, um, opening scenes with Phil Davis.
0: Mm -hmm. Knocking on the door and going in. The Pulp Fiction Fiction. scene.
2: Yeah, the Pulp Fiction scene.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, There was so a lot yeah. of nods to other films I noticed, Old Boy being one massive form. I was like, cool as fuck, he's just gone. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the Old Boy bit. It was great though. Uh, there was a lot of nods to other movies and I liked that a lot. I, I think that's important as filmmakers we do that. I think it's just nice. But what was it before? What was the location? Jars, it was an underground
1: fight club. There as, we go. Thank you. <laughs> <It's just laughs> for, for the businessman to- of Harrow. Uh,
2: uh, yeah. <laughs> That's where they keep all the underground fight clubs. <laughs> um, totally. We totally. put a call out on Facebook, and um, uh, and they were like, "Yeah, we've got a fight club here." Yeah. Uh, just can't out. talk about it. Yeah. Uh, just don't tell anyone about
1: it. We should do a fake documentary on the old London fight clubs of the 1800s. Which is kind of <laughs> <a>
0: Victorian. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Was it disused? I'm going to talk more about this space. Um, was it disused? It was before you got there. Was it kind of out? of um, I
2: think it hadn't been used for a little while. Um, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Because you were
0: really smashing it up as well, especially the lift. Did you build the inside of that lift? Anna Anna and her team
2: uh, had the lift built. Uh, from scratch Um, because obviously we have a fight sequence in the lift we were able to take the sides off take the roof off which is really helpful he and his team and Pat Oldinger the DP uh, did a fantastic job of you know to make it really feel like you're in this elevator got some great angles on there
0: yeah and you need to support the weight of people throwing in it and you do damage property if it's not a set build and I think that's important that you did that there Um, and I take it there wasn't a lift in the building no there wasn't and also
2: try to find a, a a vintage-looking, 1930s, 50s kind of style lift that will people will allow us to completely tear apart.
0: Yeah,
2: um, on our on insurance was was rare, um, mm. so that was unlucky. So yeah, we had to basically build this lift and connect three to four locations. Uh, I think it's four locations in the end as one. Yeah, um, and so the lift was really integral to the film. And I I always knew that I was always adamant that we need this elevator because without it, um, you know, we can't connect, you know, because when the doors open and Camille enters into the main arena, uh, you know, that's not uh, connected to the other spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, So without that, there's no connection. And I think it's very easy to get confused about where you are within
1: the club. And that goes back to part of that setting up the geography at the beginning. You kind of immediately know, okay. that goes to that area and that really helps with some of the action sequences later on. Yes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And talking of action sequences, great segue, Robbie. Um, <laughs> the the fighting in an action in this film is incredible. Obviously, you mentioned Peter Pedrero there, who is a stunt choreographer and stunt fighter, and he is in the opening of the movie as well. Mm-hmm. W- did you go to great lengths to get this right? Because obviously you do fighting yourself, you're, you do MMA, right? Is that correct? Or- uh, I used to box. Yeah, I used to
2: box. Bit. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in no way well.
0: Um, but yes, <laughs> but yes, was this something that you really want to bring to this film to make sure that the stunts and the action looked as good as it does? Yeah, I mean, there's a discussion we have
2: with Pete early on. I met Pete doing a film called Absolutely Anything with Simon Peg, mm. um, where he's a stunt coordinator on that. Yeah, the discussion was basically I didn't want to shoot the fights really tight, really close up in the dark, which I see with a lot of films mm. um, where you can't see the fight. Um, And I wanted to shoot the fights as very, you know, brutal, but kind of beautiful things. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're their own beast. Um, So the idea was always to look at the fights as a different kind of musical number Yep. um, to give it a a different fight style, a different mood, a different look. We try and make sure you, the audience can see exactly what is happening within each fight sequence. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have the, the S and M corridor, which is like, I think like three. (laughs) the S and M corridor. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, and that was uh, that was a bit a big day uh, that we shot that in, and um, it's its own thing, you know. When I ever speak to people who've seen the film, that is for them its own thing within the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Pete and his team did a, a fantastic job on making sure we can see. The fights
0: they're lit in a way that you can see them, like you mm. say, it feels like we're on the ground, but it's lit really well. I think it's not, it's not just
1: flat lighting, it's like no. you know, fluorescence yes. coming mm. from overhead. You're still, it's still dramatic cinematic lighting, but you can still, yes. as you say, clearly see what's yeah. going on within the space which I appreciated
0: yeah I appreciate it a lot too and I do think that has a why I wanted to talk about location because I think a lot of filmmakers can forget about location not forget but go oh this will do and then you get in it and you're like this is not big enough and yes. what I liked about your movie was it felt big you know it felt like you were in these rooms and these spaces and you could move a camera around you could move actors around I'm mm-hmm. sure those rooms where it was really small but it felt the right size and I think filmmakers do forget that you need it to be bigger than you think because if you're laying yes. a track and then you've got a camera with battery on the back and a big lens on the front well you already lost you know perhaps two meters from that room so yes
1: it's like when danny Boyle was doing a uh, shallow grave they deliberately spent like half of the budget on the flat that they got to so they could get a massive edinburgh flat just because yes. he knew that that's you know he'd have that issue yeah, yeah.
2: obviously get you get stuck i mean we found it on a uh, on hilo you know mm-hmm. there are certain and we were shooting in an old pub you know, So it's, it's kind of like uh, there is space, but equally, I want to do a five-minute one-take shot a- across the entire pub, yeah. and you've got to go up an old stairwell. So um, good, good luck. luck you know? <laughs> um, and it's kind
1: of like, oh, you've got to also go through this doorway, and this doorway's thin. Yeah, uh, Britain is full of small, awkward spaces. So it's small, just... <laughs> small, awkward spaces. of um, our it's, national heritage. It's, 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 it's a good small... name for Britain. I yeah, small,
2: uh, awkward people as uh, well. Small, awkward so. spaces, the biography of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so it's great to have some space, you know, to give it some size. I mean, we shot the, um, the main space stuff, um, in Collins music hall, uh, in angel. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is like an old uh, underground theater.
0: Yes, it is. Um, yeah.
2: And it's a uh, beautiful and it's exactly what, what I wanted. So basically we were actually going to shoot uh, as part of the journey of not mentioned, but we were scheduled to shoot the film in Estonia, um, up until last year um for two years we'd done all the scouting
1: and following in christopher nolan's footsteps well i'll bring you to christopher nolan right now yes (laughs)
0: talk about that guy we
2: were set to shoot in estonia
1: and basically um
2: i had found this massive brilliant amphitheater to shoot the fight sequences in and i had storyboarded it and i was really happy with it and you know i thought it was going to look amazing Um, that's where the vip area within the film came from from Mm -hmm. scouting that location And we finally called our Estonian producers and said, hey, uh, we're greenlit. We're good to go. Um, We're ready. Uh, Let's discuss. And they were like, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Minor problem. Chris Nolan loved the amphitheater and he's now using it for Tenet." oh so that opening and it looks beautiful i mean it's chris nolan he's a legend and uh yeah sure. sli- i think he had a slightly bigger budget slightly uh, bigger budget <laughs> i think it was a bit a bit more um just a yeah. tad though yeah. and, filming um, on imax cameras is, you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, th- I think the cameras are more expensive than knuckle up and um so uh, so yeah he, he he was filming there and it was it would clash and so we were like right okay let's move it all to the UK. So that's when we moved everything to the UK. And you shot in summer, right? Late
0: summer. Uh, We shot October, November. So almost yeah. a year, which is a really decent turnaround, you know, especially considering the pandemic and the, the amount of effects, I imagine, or the certain elements of this movie that aren't that easy. The music was outstanding as well. And you had all those elements mm. in place that can take time. So it's really nice that you had a quick turnaround on this. So quick enough, you know, a year is a good amount of time. We all want them to come out straight away. But yeah, I mean, we really wanted to stick to even <laughs> disregarding the pandemic and everything, you know,
2: weird, uh, given clear dates when we deliver and we wanted to make sure we delivered on time. Um, you know, exactly when we said, regardless of what was occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, um, we delivered in the summer, I think. So it was kind of like a six, six, seven month turnaround
1: mm-hmm.
2: of the film. Yeah. And, um, so it was interesting cause it was kind of like, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Pandemic. I see what you're doing. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I can do this. Let's do my stuff. Resume. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then I finally got to do, you know, uh, studio stuff. So we got to do some ADR and stuff at Art for Noise. Uh, they did a great job on the sound design. Um, mm-hmm. So that was fun because it was like we hadn't I hadn't seen anyone for three months. So to get in
0: a room and just play was, yeah, it's a joy, isn't it? It was a joy, you know, you forgot what, what it was nice to do a bit of ADR. I had to do the whole of Arthur Merlin post in uh, lockdown and it, it was it was really difficult it, i love being in a room with someone talking about music talking about you know how he, the sound design and all that and it it was a shame not to do that um i did do the edit it was just before but um yeah and it's it's difficult isn't it it's not as easy so I'm glad you did get to do some together in a room because uh, Ian, you really want to do that we haven't talked about the amazing animation people on fire uh, you've got a, a deaf character in there and explosions and the amazing twists uh, we haven't talked about those and maybe we shouldn't we'll leave okay. that to our audience to watch because that is teasers for you in itself but I did want to talk about what you learned as a director uh, more than being an actor in this mm. what you took from your first film you brought onto this and what did you learn that you're going to take forward to your next film
2: from the first film to the second film it, it was definitely like what the time I think it's the time you know what it takes to make a film and and the the absolute input it takes not just from from you, yourself but from everyone it's such a collaboration and I really wanted to make sure Hilo felt like a, a family unit whilst mm. we were shooting the film and I really brought that onto knuckle dust um, I really wanted everyone to feel that their uh which it does their opinion matters uh, when we're discussing stuff because like we said at the very beginning you know um ultimately it comes down to my decision so ultimately it's me say yes or no but that doesn't mean that that can't come from anywhere and it's you know even my first ad you know chris Malin, he's a super creative guy he's a really funny writer and he would come up to me and say do you mind if i you know what about this and i was like dude, that is a fantastic idea. Let's reset and let's go for, for this. Mm. And um, I think it can come from anywhere on set. And I think as long as you have an open set, uh, in the sense of everyone feels like their their ideas are welcome, then you will make a more collaborative and inclusive film in that sense. And everyone feels like it's their movie, which it is. It's it's, it's our movie uh, more than anything, you know, because everyone brought so much to it. Um, that Dust belongs to everyone who worked on it. I, I think. Um, so I think that's what I took from the first to the second. And I think from the second to the third, um, hopefully it's the same, but just on a bigger budget, I really saw, you know, I've never, I've never directed a fight feature before. So you mm-hmm. see an, an, a, and a, very visually ambitious fight feature where I also didn't want just to sit, um, put all the emphasis on the fights. So I really wanted to give the actors something to really get a hold of and put the, get the teeth into and, and, and kind of own those characters. And, um, so there's a lot going on, and I think as moving on to the next one, ideally, I think it's just the timings. You know, you go, okay, I need this for a fight. Uh, I need this to really get the actors settled and you know not pushing too far. And but that comes with you know larger budgets. That's yes. just always the way. You know, I think I've achieved exactly what I wanted to on the film, which was put a great team together. We shot everything uh, that I wanted to shoot. Uh, it's a film that we were told, you know, many times that we couldn't make. It's too ambitious. It's too big. You know, James is a nobody like you can't you know, we can't believe that James visually can do this uh, and have it in his head and, and put it on the screen. And I think that stuff is all up there. So for me personally, I'm very proud of it uh, and I'm
1: proud of everyone who works on it.
0: As you should be. That's so yeah. lovely to hear. Yeah, honestly, it's a brilliant film. Knuckle Dust is out now. Do go watch. Do go support. It's indie filmmaking at its finest. It's a brilliant action comedy. You're going to love it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to your to our next film, 100%. Are you already writing that now? Are you in the throes? Are people throwing scripts at you? Are not, you I'm answering like, them not. from your door? <laughs> Agents going <Yeah>. crazy outside. <laughs> yeah, what people yeah, think, yeah. though? People do think that's going to happen. And actually, yeah. you've got to make your own luck and work,
2: haven't yeah, you? Yeah, you've got to make your own luck. I mean, uh, yeah, no agents calling. Uh, I check my phone uh, eight times a day, uh, yeah. but there's no calls yet. But I'm working on a few things at the moment. I'm working on a, um, a TV show, actually, with uh, the guy who did the animation in Knuckle Dust. Great. Um, okay. So we're, we're putting together a TV show at the moment. And there's a couple of films um, that I'm also putting together, um, one of which is a, uh, a Western.
0: So I'm very excited. in you. Uh, you know, I get, get all the cowboys this time. not just the one great that's exciting mate good good luck what's it just quickly talk about your screenwriting process do you write a treatment out do you have uh stickers on your wall or do you just splurge it out what do you do
2: um i usually so at the moment if you can see there i have everything up on the wall so basically um i make lots and lots of notes on lots of different little pieces of paper um, and then i kind of put the little pieces of paper all down and then kind of pick, 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 pick. This goes here, this goes here. These three characters are one character. Put them all in their little piles and then start to work from there. Um, I usually have an opening scene um, and that's the, the, and a set piece. So a set piece usually comes. So for instance, with with Knuckle Dust, you know, the, the dildo fight the snm scene that you know that's been there for a very
1: very long time i just love how um, you casually throw that in it's like yeah yeah of just course throw that the, in. the well-known well-established dildo fight in the <laughs> dust yes yeah you know that that, that one i can't um, wait for 50 years time film scholars to be, to be about. i can't about. wait to show my kids
2: um so <laughs> you know uh, so dildo nunchucks were in there for a very long time i think that might have been one of the things where people were like you can't maybe they weren't saying you can't make this film maybe they're like you can't make this film <laughs> yeah. but it's on screen now
0: so uh you know it's coming into people's homes we which is so cool. Um, but where can people find it then? Obviously, it's out now. Where's the best place for them to actually watch it? It's on um, Amazon and
2: iTunes, definitely. Um, it's on quite a few different platforms. US, Australia, New Zealand on the 8th, UK on the 11th, um, Canada in January, I believe, and we sold worldwide. So, I mean, it has a it's Russian release coming up, uh, which is exciting.
0: Well, it's because it's one of these films that will sell worldwide. You know, you've got enough of the names in there to sell, but also because it's an action sort of thriller, if you like, comedy action, and people love them. They sell, mm. they do really well. If you do them well enough, and you really have done this very well, uh, I'm very proud of you. I think Thank you've you, done ma'am. incredibly well, and I, I can't wait to keep talking about your next ones and see what happens. Uh, oh, that's a- be another two years maybe hopefully less hopefully, hopefully less. less to get yeah, you back yeah. on yeah so it's like
2: four or five years between low and this one so I'm hoping yeah, uh,
0: yeah half it at least. half it let's half yeah, it yeah. but let's double your, w double your budget double <laughs> your every time <laughs> and half the time each year so eventually it'll be like two months you would be coming on I've just done another yeah. one so I'll be like have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly Charles really? can I come on again? no uh,
2: no <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I shot that film about me as an actor talking to myself exactly, um, yeah, that one. It? <laughs> I <just laughs> shot that
0: on my iPhone in the next box now <laughs> brilliant James Kermack, this has been absolutely essential and thank you so much for joining us No worries, buddy. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. Where can people find you on the socials? Where can they bother you and give you some uh, stick and also some love? Uh, They can find me at jkermack on Instagram uh, and they can follow knuckledust uh, at knuckledustmovie on Instagram. Amazing. There you go. You can follow me at Giles Alderson, Robbie. You can follow me at Robbie McCain. You can follow us at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter or on the Gram, the Filmmakers Podcast. Do follow us there or on our Facebook. And you'll see all our latest info. Go to our Patreon page and you'll get some of our fantastic extras as well. Do do that. Uh, we will see you next Tuesday as always. And remember, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator. But in James Kermack's case, you can send it down and up and down. Send it to the secret floor. (laughs) and you can have a fight in it if you like Uh, so do do that and go out there and make your indie film you can make it happen you can do it as James has done Uh, until next Tuesday when we will see you then take care everyone bye James bye Robbie see you later bye folks thanks guys